1: And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright.
0: And I'm your co-host, Meg Cooney.
1: Meg today is taking the role of the SNL host and the band. So today's guest (laughs) is Meg Cooney for our interview on Strata Windups. But because you're here, we threw you into the studio and we said, hey, we're going to do the intro outro. You're going to talk about yourself in a third person about this great guest we have today. So Meg, thanks so much for hanging out with us as much as you could.
0: Hey, no problem. Today's episode, Strata
1: Windups. We've had a lot, of, a lot of listeners reach out to us and you know it's a big thing right now. You see a lot more of them and people have reached out and said, hey, tell us more about this. So you're at William Wright Commercial. You're working in our Vancouver office. You've done work on Strata Windups in the past. You have a couple more coming up here. Mm-hmm. What is a Strata Windup?
0: Yeah, so to put it simply, uh, strata windups is the process of getting all the owners of a strata together and agreeing to sell as a package rather than individual strata units. You know, this happens for a variety of reasons, but the main reasons are, you know, typically to do with zoning regulations or changes to the OCP. For example, if you look at townhomes, you know, they were likely the highest and best use at the time they were built. But, you know, they may become a high-rise site, which would multiply their land value and in turn, you know, give them a better lift than if they sell as uh, strata lots. You know, you also see buildings that, you know, might need major repairs and the cost of, you know, levies coming in or strata fees are just too much for strata owners. And they'd rather opt to sell on a land basis than individual lots.
1: So before we give away the house and we don't want to give away the interview just yet.
0: Just a teaser. Just
1: a teaser of what started. So because you're sitting in the, the co-hosting chair today, we're going to we're gonna throw you in on our, our current discussions right now. And I'm going to ask you this question. And I don't know what the answer is, but are you watching Succession?
0: I am, actually. You I just started. Oh. Yeah.
1: So we, we we have
0: a running <laughs> thing
1: going here right now. You don't watch Yellowstone, do you? I don't. But okay. Okay, yeah. okay, good. Okay. Netflix okay. is like taunting okay. me with it. Yeah, don't, 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 don't. We'll let you stay on the show. But Succession is a big one, so I, I, you know, I started it how many years ago? Couldn't get into season one. Yeah, gave up on it. Season two went past. Matt and Adam are all about Succession. That I went back and I started watching all the way from the first episode right up to current. I am so addicted to the show right now. I'm rewatching season two again. Wow, just to see if I missed anything. To find out what's going on in season three, which you, I'm current right now.
0: You know there are other shows, Corey. <laughs> well, I <laughs> you can't I've, just watch Suits, Office, and Succession well, on I'm gonna repeat. I'm going
1: to go. I'm going to go a little bit out of my comfort zone here. I'm actually into the new Dexter right now. Okay. That came out. So I watched the original Dexter series yeah. front to back because my wife loved it.
0: Well, your dog's name is Dexter, so I so love where the, it. That's where the
1: name <laughs> came from. This thing, but then they have this the like what ten years later, I guess now almost. The new season Mm -hmm. of Dexter New Blood is out now. Okay. It is better. Really? Than the original one. So I'm not, you know, I'm not into my true crime drama here, but this show is amazing. (laughs) So I'm I'm going to put it on the record. So when Adam and Matt come back next week, Dexter New Blood, I'm going to get them watching that because they forced me to watch an episode of Yellowstone based on Adam's original recommendation.
0: And they lied to you. Wasn't that good?
1: It's horrible. It's horrible.
0: Okay, you heard it here,
1: folks. (laughs) It's horrible. But Succession, we have to say, so you're watching Succession. Yeah. What is going on in commercial real estate right now? What's Meg Cooney working on?
0: That was, wow, switch gears.
1: (laughs) Well, I figured Success, Succession, Success, success,
0: Commercial. Meg Cooney, all kind of the same. Boss brokers, Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, similar to residential, like interest rates are definitely driving this market right now. You know, Vancouver has always had such a pride of you know, ownership in real estate. So, you know, that hasn't really changed. We're seeing a lot more owner occupiers in the space, which are driving up the price per square foot for strata units or buildings. And obviously, you've heard on, you know, every media outlet that industrial is very hot right now. So, very competitive. There's no more land being made. And uh, every listing that comes to market is competitive in multiple offers.
1: So before we get to our amazing guest today for our interview, <laughs> so amazing. our show is powered by our good friends over at Impact Commercial Group with over 50 years of lending experience. For any commercial lending needs, reach out to Al and the team at impactcommercial.ca. Without further ado, let's cut to our interview today with Meg Cooney of William <laughs> Wright Commercial talking about strata windups. Enjoy, guys.
0: Take it away, Meg Cooney.
1: This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. And we're here today with Meg Cooney from William Wright Commercial, our Strata Wind-Up Specialist. Meg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for having me. So Meg, we start off every show, we ask our guests, how did you get in commercial real estate? How'd you start your career? And how did you get to where you are today?
0: Yeah. So almost 10 years now, not to age me at all, but started in 2012.
1: 10 years. So you started when you 12. Yeah, exactly.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, started in 2012 in the pre-sale residential market. I worked there for three years before jumping to commercial in 2015 and have been in commercial ever since, focusing on land and development in Vancouver.
1: And when you say pre-sales, so you were in condo pre-sales before. I was, yeah. Now, were you in that business in the early, I guess, the early 2010, 2012 range when it was...
0: Yes. So, you know, a different time back then, a bit more of a flatter market in 2012, 2013, 2014, um, which really helped me hone my sales skills because it wasn't just... No easy money and easy sales. You actually had to work for it a little yeah. bit more.
1: Yeah, well, that's why. So our, our listeners may notice today there's no Adam or there's no Matt joining us here because they're still stuck in the multiple offer list a of condo show a condo get ten offers cast your check phase right now. Are
0: you saying I should have never gotten out? So
1: so they're not here because they're they're doing their multiple offer Mondays, but now on Fridays. So it's just me Must and be you. Nice, yeah. Just me and you, <laughs> Meg. One reason why I want to have you on the show today, and for our listeners, some people may or may not know what a straddle wind up is. Yeah. We've had some listeners reach out who are in condos, presumably, that are probably in buildings that are much better suited for a tower based on an OCP that's come up, created an uptick in density. Mm-hmm. And from another standpoint, also people can look to invest in condos, potentially, that could become strata up at some point. Yeah. Can you maybe walk us through what a strata windup is? And yeah. then we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. So to put it simply, a strata wind up is the dissolution of a strata. And this often takes place for two reasons. Either, like you mentioned, there is a land use change where the underlying land value is far more valuable as a redevelopment site than you would get as an individual strata owner. For example, you look at Metrotown where you have a lot of low-rise apartment buildings or even townhome complexes that are sitting on about an acre of land. And the city has, in their land use plan, designated it for a tower. So you could either sell your unit for, you know, $500,000, or you could probably sell it for close to double, just given that that underlying land value is worth so much more. We we, also, can we unpack
1: that a little bit yeah. there? So I'm a
0: condo owner. Mm-hmm.
1: I just bought this great condo in Port Moody for 500000 I move in, and then all of a sudden, someone like you shows up a year later. Strata wants to have a conversation because a new OCP is rolled out, which is the official community plan. Yeah which through some rezoning potentials, our three-story wood frame, 1948 building, you're going to show up and you're going to tell me it's going to be 28 stories. Yeah. So if I paid $500,000 for my condo mm-hmm. and you show up and you can tell me you can get me a million for a developer, yeah. how do I compute? How does that value increase so fast? Can you maybe just unpack that a little bit for our listeners there so we can say, how, why is it worth $500,000 a condo, but a million dollars as a development site?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of it really comes down to highest and best use. So, you know, these 1980, 1990 buildings, that was high density at the time. But now that they're, you know, they're close to SkyTrain, there is greater land value there. A developer will have significantly more revenue by building 20, 30 story building which increases their ability to pay more for the unit. So they're not paying for a unit, they're paying for the land. What's nice as a strata owner is that you get a proportionate share of that land value, provided it's liquidated.
1: Now, is there a, an equation to determine me as a strata owner, how much I would get? Because let's say, for yeah. example, I just bought my place. I just dumped $100,000 in it. I built the Taj Mahal mm-hmm. in this wood frame disaster. Yeah. Why wouldn't I get any more because I just spent all this money and my unit is that much nicer. Is there an equation that people would typically work off of?
0: Yeah. So we do see that a lot. You know, it's the battle of, well, my unit is the nicest in the building and I should get more because of that. But, you know, when we do valuations, it's which approach is going to give you the most. So you can do a comparable approach based on strata, or you can do a residual approach, which would be the land value. So, you know, we're happy to pick the comparable approach where your kitchen is worth, yes, $100,000 more than your neighbor but I think you'd much rather go with the residual. And, you know, to break it down on a residual basis, developers look at forecasting into pre-sales. So, you know, our job is to make them pretty optimistic about that. They then look at the cost to build and then the DCCs or CACs with the city. And finally, they're left with what they can pay for the land. Because that revenue number is so high, you know, that really pushes up your value.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. So... So let's take it one step further here. So now I've, I've got the condo now, mm-hmm. and let's say there's 20 of us in the Strata Corporation, so 20 Strata lot owners in this building. Yeah. What happens if one person doesn't want to sell? Can you walk us through the whole sort of start to finish process and maybe the timelines and the the high points and low points of that process?
0: Yeah, so probably why you're hearing Strata windups is more of a buzzword these days is because... In 2016, the Bill 40 was introduced, and this was an amendment to the Strata Property Act, whereas it used to be that 100% of the owners had to vote to liquidate a strata, and they amended that to 80%, which creates a lot more flexibility and opportunity for the majority owners to have this kind of lottery win of selling on a development basis. You know, the process is longer. It can take, you know, anywhere from a year to two years. You know, I don't know what the courts are like right now, but probably not too good. But the value add that you get from going through this process is far exceeds what you get in that appreciation time for a year as just a condo. So, you know, we're definitely seeing more and more strata, you know, presidents coming to us. We have, you know, a new listing coming up in January where, you know, they really see that they've kind of won the lottery. And they want to pursue this process because the time is definitely worth the value that they're going to be getting on a development basis.
1: So you you mentioned there, one thing I took away from that was you talked about 80% as a number Mm -hmm. in which we have Mm -hmm. to sort of achieve, I guess, to agree to sell. And then we go to the courts. Do we need to have, let's say, for example, you mean you guys come in, you do a presentation to the Strata Corporation where you might be one of a few companies that are pitching? Mm -hmm. And we've got twenty people in the room and only eleven people or twelve people are somewhat interested.
0: Yeah.
1: How many people have to agree in order just to say list the property? And then let's say you do your job and you get me the offer that we're all looking for.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. The 80% now has to accept. So how much how many how what what percentage of owners have to agree just to even just list the pro the property just to start that process?
0: Yeah. So it's just fifty percent. You know, we will kind of take a closer look to see what the objections are because obviously it's a longer process and we don't want to waste anyone's time. But it's only 50% vote to actually take it to market, hire a real estate broker to take it to market. And then the 80% vote comes when the offers arrive. So, you know, if we come in with 50% to list it, we know we have to work really hard on the value to make it incentivizing for those who are on the fence or just not willing to go through the process at the time. But we find, you know, once you get those offers that are stellar, there's multiple offers in front of them. It's a bit more incentivizing for them to take it. So, you know, we're pretty optimistic that we can get over that 80%.
1: So we've got 50% say, let's give this a try. Yeah. You bring us the offer that we're all looking for. Mm -hmm. 81% of us say, let's do this. We've got 19% that says we're not moving. Mm -hmm. Does it next step is it goes to the courts, if I understand?
0: Yes. Yeah. So next steps. And, you know, in that as well, you're hiring a lawyer prior to the offer. There's, you know, lawyers that specialize in strata windups. But yeah, you'd go to court. If there are any objections to the sale going through, they have their time in court to plead their case. Oftentimes it's just, you know, the lack of wanting to move. Sometimes they don't feel like the value was high enough or it's a procedure error. We actually, there was a case in 2017 on West 10th and, you know, they got 83.3% vote, took it to court, and it was actually rejected based on the lack of interest schedule. So they were supposed to provide that to all the owners before reviewing reviewing the offer. And because the procedure wasn't followed, it was actually rejected in court because they didn't follow the protocol.
1: Now, in that situation, do they go back, reset, accepted offer still in place? Hey, guys, here's... What you would get. Yeah. And then we go re-engage the courts? Or is that just frustration boiling at that point and everyone walks?
0: Yeah. So they'd have to start the offer process all over again in that case. And at this particular instant, you know, the developer didn't want to pursue it anymore. They'd already waited a year and a half. The sellers were fatigued and frustrated by the lack of care given to this. So I, you know, procedure in Strata Windup is so important because you don't want to be rejected on a technicality. So having the right person you know, take you to the process, that includes a real estate lawyer as well, you know that at least those bases are covered.
1: So we go to the courts. Yeah. We've got 81%. Presumably, we've got 81% or 80% to 99%. I'm assuming if we get 100%, the courts it's are contracts. out. Yeah. Let's sign this. What is the percentage, if there is one, of how many get approved by the courts, And then how many get rejected? Is there a number out there floating amongst the industry that you've got a 50-50 chance? Or is it slam dunk with the exception of the odd one?
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, it's probably closer to 90% um, gets approval. And it really is when you're close to that 80% that it becomes a little bit more risky. Oftentimes, if there's only one owner who's objecting, you know, it's pretty compelling for the courts to push it through because that, you know, really is an indication that everyone wants to sell. But, you know, as realtors, I think our job is to get a value that makes, you know, an easy decision for everyone. Another, you know, instant where it may not get approved is if they're really not getting that much of a lift. Gotcha. And we see this in situations where the building, you know, maybe is starting to fall apart. There's special levies, you know, they can't get insurance or, you know, banks won't lend on it. So they're kind of forced to sell for whatever they can because the cost of repair is just not worth it and, you know, can bankrupt a lot of people. So let's say we have a four story building and the new designation is six story. There's probably not a huge lift there, but for these owners to be able to get out and actually sell their homes, you know, there is some value there as well. So that's, you know, that's another angle that we see.
1: That makes sense. Now, the whole Strata wind-up process, does that only apply to residential? Or let's say, for example, we had a commercial building retail on grade, second story office. Mm -hmm. Does the same process apply to that? Or is that a completely different
0: governance altogether? Yeah, so it would be 100% for commercial.
1: So now from an investment standpoint, I mean, we have a lot of listeners that are looking to invest into the commercial real estate business for the very first time. Mm -hmm. But part of a strategy might be to not only invest maybe from a commercial real estate standpoint, but to maybe buy condos or townhouses in these potential strata windups As an investment, per se, where I'm going to rent it out, but because I feel that area is going to get rezoned or has recently got rezoned, there's going to be a very large lift coming. So I want to buy the $500,000 place in the wood frame building right now. Is that a strategy you see a lot of people in the commercial make deploy?
0: Yeah, you know, we we saw it a lot when the Bill 40 was introduced in 2016. There's actually a bit of a frenzy around it. And, you know, those who actually were successful in selling on a strata wind up basis went to go find their next property in a kind of similar type of building age and area plan. So, you know, they they saw the opportunity to do this again, and it has kind of become a strategy. However, you just can't guarantee that it's going to happen before, you know, levies are coming in, strata fees increase. So it is a bit of a risk not knowing if it's going to be wound up my recommendation would become, you know, become the strata president and push it forward or reach out to a real estate agent to kind of guide that process rather than just kind of waiting for it to happen.
1: Now, is there any areas that might have a higher chance of being rezoned, say, maybe next to a SkyTrain? Is there any particular things that you might or landmarks you might target to say, hey, that area of Port Coquitlam Mm -hmm. Hasn't been rezoned yet, but because it's similar proximity to the SkyTrain that we see in Port Moody, there might be a higher potential. I should go buy some condos now as a speculator to think there might be some uptick. Is there anything besides a SkyTrain station that would make a lot of sense for someone to, to look at?
0: Yeah, I mean, infrastructure, SkyTrain tends to be the number one. Um, if you look at areas in Vancouver, like the Joyce Station, obviously that was you a know, huge value add for owners in that area. Um, 29th Station is an area of focus for Vancouver. Same with Nanaimo. You know, it's important to read the OCPs and like meeting minutes with the city to see where their next initiative is going to be. Hospitals, for example, like schools, Anything that surrounds infrastructure, you know, they, they want to see population there. They want to designate as much density there as possible. So I think, you know, having good relationship with brokers who are constantly reading that because we're real estate nerds and even just looking into yourself and, you know, following municipalities that are anticipating growth.
1: Now, when we look at, say, the SkyTrain potential expansion, they're talking to get out into the Langley area and yeah. stuff like that, that would be something if there was a small stratified wood frame building that's sitting potentially along that corridor. Absolutely. That would be something that we'd say, hey, those condos are 300 grand today. Mm -hmm. If that goes up in value, it could be 600 grand. It could be a million. Yeah. That's what I want.
0: Yeah. And I think that's just a good purchasing practice in general. Even if you are looking for a residential condo, you know, as your safeguard, you're buying your infrastructure and, you know, you will see value increase in buying that real estate. The bonus is if it does get designated for higher density, you've really you've really won. You know, you see it in Coquitlam Center, for example, when the Evergreen Line came in, Port Moody, same thing. You know, you could buy an old 90s building or 90s condo for like under $200,000. After the SkyTrain came in, I think most people almost doubled their money. Wow. And with that density that's going on in Coquitlam Center, some of these low-rise condos are now in high-density areas. So not only did they have the you know, safeguard if they've made money on their condo, but now they, you know, kind of get that multiplier of a 20, 30-story building. So, you know, you're getting into the market at a low price, but you really get ahead by, you know, targeting areas like that.
1: And and not to mention, if you were buying into this as your principal residence, Mm -hmm. it's going to be, you know, there's no no capital capital gains paid on that right now. If you (laughs) sell it for those big lifts versus if you bought as an investment, you'd be paying capital gains on your lift. So there's people that are maybe looking to maybe enter the condo market potentially as their first, first-time homebuyer type thing. Mm-hmm. That could be another strategy is to find stuff in these older buildings that may not be your your dream house just yet, yeah. but it might give you a fairly healthy lift tax-free to then get to that dream house maybe at a, a quicker, faster pace.
0: Totally. And, you know, the, the entry price is lower. Like, there's just so many reasons to get in. with something that, ne- you know, needs a little bit of elbow grease to make it livable and, you know, wait it out. But Yeah, if you're buying in key areas that are, you know, designated for density in the future, it looks like they're like a town center core, you know, you will do well over time.
1: So is there an area you might see a lot of this, you know, high concentrated, these strata windups happening right now? Like I know if we go back a few years and we look in Coquitlam, primarily around the Coquitlam Skytrain Station along North Road there, there was a lot of older wood frame buildings. The rezoning came out and now there's 40 story towers going along that corridor. Is there any other areas maybe beside that you're seeing a high concentration of these strata windups or potential strata windups taking place?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say like New Westminster, there's definitely a lot of older condo product there. You look at Port Moody, just off of St. John's, there are buildings that are from the 1960s, you know, that are really due for a lot of capex or, you know, expenditures to keep it running. And there's density incentives. So again, with the SkyTrain, obviously New West has multiple SkyTrains, but for Port Moody, there really is an opportunity for these owners to get out, buy something new, they could upsize with the value lift that they get. So, you know, we're seeing those kind of markets definitely
1: going through this process a lot. So, I'm an investor right now. Mm-hmm. I look into some of these suggested markets you have earlier in the show we talked about a condo potentially hypothetically going from 500 to a million dollars. Is there a formula that a developer will use in order to kind of create that value? So, you mean in our in our world You know, FSR, FSA, all these terminologies are frequently, you know, shot around that a lot of the public may not be familiar with. Can we maybe unpack or break down what that formula looks like coming into it there? That way, if I'm a guy looking at buying a condo and I see a building three blocks down, that's 40 stories on a site that's 10,000 square feet. My building's on a 10,000 square foot site. Mm -hmm. Is there a formula there that I could even just like back of napkin kind of numbers?
0: Yeah. So the first formula would be, you know, what is your price per buildable um, and what the land is worth on a development basis? To kind of keep it simple, you know, the price per square foot of buildable area that a developer is willing to pay is directly related to how much revenue they're going to get. So let's say there's, you know, a hundred thousand square feet of new building and they think they're going to get two thousand per square foot. You know, that two thousand per square foot is their revenue. They then reduce the construction costs, which can be anywhere from like $350 to $500 per square foot. And then they're left with, uh, you know, CACs and other items like that. It leaves them with the land value. So land value is then divided by the buildable area. And that's where you get your price.
1: So we have have a site in this scenario. It's a 10,000 square foot site. We have an 8 FSR, which means a developer can get about 80,000 square feet of buildable onto this site. How does that compute for me as a condo owner? That's great that you can get 80,000 square feet, but how do I how do I figure out how much money I can get?
0: Yeah, so using that 80,000 of buildable area, the developer will apply that to what revenue they can get. So let's say each condo is worth 1,000 per square foot. That gives you $80 million in revenue. You then look at the construction costs. So 80,000 times, let's say 500, that gives you 40 million. Then you're left with $40 million that they can pay for the land. And that would be divided proportionately to the owners. So there's three ways that this value would be divided to the owners, and it depends on when the building was built. So before 1974, if the strata plan was filed before then, uh, it'd be based on the unit entitlement. If it was between 1974 and 2000, it'd be based on the interest upon destruction. And then any building after the year 2000 would be relative to the assessed values, which would be like your BCSS value.
1: So can we, can we unpack that a little bit more there? So unit entitlement for our listeners that don't know, what is unit entitlement?
0: Yeah, so you've, you've probably seen it in your strata documents. It would be your proportionate share of like the strata fees and, you know, your obligation in that regard. So, yeah, any building prior to 1974 would be based on that. And unit entitlement. So that's my my
1: condo plus my proportionate share of the Strata Corporation, hallways, all that stuff. Yeah. That could be my unit entitlement. Yeah. So buildings that are built after that time. Is interest upon destruction. So what is that? Sounds yeah. like an insurance word.
0: It, it, yeah. That's that's kind of the easiest way to describe it is it's how the insurance company would look at the building should there be a fire yeah. or, you know, it falls down. And that's how they would allocate the insurance proceeds to each owner. And then finally, relative to assessed values. So Simplest way to put it, you add up all the BC assessments, you take your percentage of the total value, and you would get a proportionate share based on that percentage.
1: So if I'm buying into the strata windup as an investment Mm -hmm. from a speculator standpoint, I want to get probably a larger unit if I can, because that would have a higher assessed value. And maybe I want a corner unit. Mm-hmm. With- at a higher floor, yeah, that would again drive up my assessed value again, which would give me a, a better ROI on the overall thing. Assuming Anthem shows up with a big blank check,
0: yeah, and it would have to be built after 2000. So built your,
1: after 2000, your gotcha. wait might be
0: a bit longer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> gotcha. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
0: Yeah,
1: right <laughs> now, obviously, this is this is a big thing out there. You I mean we've had a massive Skytrain expansion over the past decade? The market, from the residential standpoint, seems like it just keeps going and going and going and going. What are you seeing on the commercial side from just the commercial market as a whole? Is the commercial market as white hot as we're seeing the residential market where it's just kind of like offers, you know, property comes up, you're pre-inspected and then out it goes.
0: Absolutely. I mean Corey knows I just lost out on a property with twenty six offers on it. So let, let's go. I don't that want for to a talk second. about it.
1: <laughs> let's talk about that. This is for our listeners, this is a sore spot, unfortunately, because we found out this morning we didn't get the property that we put in for last night. So it was a property that came to market. We yeah. won't use the address. It came to market. Arguably it was probably priced well, well under what yeah. it was worth, and maybe I mean, that's the importance of, I guess, think hiring commercial brokers when you're dealing with that type of stuff. We're in touch with more insight and have access to more data than what the public can typically get. And maybe some more data than what the residential side of the market might have. So this property was listed. It was a great property. It was arguably listed below what it should have been listed at. Yeah. It was listed at 5 million mm-hmm. and it sold for $6.5 million. Unconditional. Yep. So this guy writing, this guy or girl is writing a check. So is that the marketplace? Like, didn't you mention there was 23 offers? Is that the world we're living in right now?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the 23 offers is directly related to the price. I imagine some of the offers were pretty close to asking, thinking that they got a great deal. We were definitely over asked, pretty close to the, the top price and subject free. But, you know, I think interest rates are affecting residential and commercial the same. You know, investors are able to purchase more compressed cap rates. They're looking long term. There's an opportunity to increase the net operating income because that's the direction that retail rates are going or office rates are going. And then there's underlying land value. And so, you know, for my client, you know, the site was almost an acre. There's no plan in place right now, but he knew, you know, if Rates continue to go up. It's just a good investment from yeah, an income standpoint. Yeah. And if I strike gold and there's a, an amendment to the OCP, this property is just multiplied in value. So I think that's where there was so much interest. And yeah, I'm still sore about it. So Now,
1: now too, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw you on the spot here and ask mm-hmm. you if you can open up your crystal ball here. Yeah. What's Meg Cooney buying today and why?
0: You know, I my previous answer would have been industrial. It is now taken off to the point where I...
1: Just just for the record, I yeah. think we are on episode 2930, somewhere in there. Industrial. And you're the, you know, by you saying industrial, that it continues the streak of every guest has said industrial so far. Okay. okay so you're going to go against the grain and you're going to say, I'm not going to go with industrial.
0: Yeah. Myself, personally, I wouldn't. Okay. You know, I would probably look out further east. I think strip malls, you know, low-rise retail, where there's an opportunity to reposition. the The challenge with industrial right now, in my opinion, is... There's a lot of owner occupiers that are really bidding up the price. So from an investment standpoint, yes, we're seeing an increase in lease rates, but it's not at the rate that you're seeing the price per square foot increase for industrial. Right now, I think people are still thinking, oh, COVID's affected uh, retail. You know, to a degree, it's softened the market a little bit. But that's where my focus would be, you know, have some scale with land and, you know, target a strip mall that can be repositioned. And you can grow your income over time.
1: So, and to, a, to further to that point, you were just involved with a major shopping center in Chilliwack that sold. Yeah, which is a market that maybe five or six years ago wasn't kind of the top of the market for a lot of people who are looking to buy. And we're now sitting still in a pandemic.
0: Yeah,
1: it's a an open air shopping center with retail tenants that end up garnering four or five offers. Yeah, on that property and sold at arguably record setting prices for the area today. Yeah. And that's kind of the asset that you'd be looking for. Find something a little, maybe a little bit further out, but has a bigger piece of land that down the road, there could be a better option for that land 10, 20 years down the road, but you're going to get great revenue on the property in the meantime.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, diving into the current rent roll and, you know, where the market is, is kind of, you know, where you strike. So, you know, for this property, they were all kind of in the 20s, uh, net rates Whereas across the way, they were hitting close to 30. So So,
1: so substantially below market rate. So there's a lift there for the investors. Yeah. So
0: there's an opportunity if you have the patience to wait for renewals. So, you know, knowing when the expiries are coming up, when your opportunity is to increase rent, if there's anyone looking to leave, those are actually really good opportunities versus having a fully, you know, we call it juiced up asset where there's really nowhere to go and they're basing the cap on that. Yeah. And you're often paying you know, a pretty low or you're, you're buying it on a low cap rate and there's not a lot of opportunity to increase that. So, you know, our team, like we we look at rent rolls pretty closely and see where there's opportunity to grow that. Well, Meg, I
1: we really appreciate you taking the time today coming and breaking out what the strata wind up is. And hopefully a lot of our listeners had you know, it was really good insight before we do let you go, because mm-hmm. I know you're out there selling buildings. We've got <laughs> our six <laughs> pack. We've got our six pack where we ask you six lighthearted questions about yourself outside of the office. Do you have a few more minutes to hang out with us?
0: Oh, yeah, okay.
1: The six-pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team, these are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca. With offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, Meg. First question up: favorite vacation spot? Ooh, I'm gonna have to go with Puerto Vallarta. Just lounging on the beach. Favorite bar or restaurant?
0: Ooh, um, I would have to say Chata Thai in Coquitlam.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, is that your favorite restaurant too? Uh well I've got a four and six year old so my favorite restaurants the drive through McDonald's nice the, or like
0: Red Robin we they haven't got that far yet
1: they they don't sit very well in a restaurant so we're yeah. still if we <laughs> drive through then they can only throw so many nuggets at my head <laughs> before we get out of the parking lot versus that Red Robin those chicken strips would be flying oh
0: my gosh <laughs> so no Chattatai. it's kind of a nice place you know no no not going
1: there anytime soon favorite movie or TV show.
0: Ooh, Favorite TV show would probably be Breaking Bad or oh, Suits. Oh. I'm rewatching Suits right now.
1: Why? That's I think that's three episodes in a row now or four that we've had
0: Suits on the show. Oh, my gosh. So I, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Picking up tactics, left, right, and center um, from Suits, not Breaking Bad. But <laughs> <laughs> And then favorite movie, I would have to say Pay It Forward. A good movie. Yeah.
1: That's a good movie. This one's gonna sort of tell us who you really are. Okay. Favorite band or singer?
0: Ooh, okay. Right now, I would have to say Tame and Paula of all time.
1: Tame and Paula. Okay. You have to tell me who that is. I, well, we'll
0: play it on the way back. Okay. But... Sounds good. <laughs> um, all time. I would have to say Neil Young, probably.
1: Neil Young. Yeah. Good Canadian guy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> if you said, Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the one guest. That comes on and says suits because yeah. I tick that box, and they come on here and they say Nickelback.
0: Oh my gosh! Then Wait, tick, do you like Nickelback? I Ay-ay-ay.
1: yeah I should have known. No, can't judge me. Can't judge me. <laughs> I also listen to Michael Bublé on a counterpoint. So. I
0: mean, yeah, it's almost Christmas, so fair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everyone's listening to Michael Bublé as of last week. Yeah,
0: you're not. You're not unique. <laughs> um,
1: last qu- last question up: a piece of advice you maybe give our listeners whether they're looking to enter commercial real estate as a whole, or maybe they're looking to enter the Strata wind up world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think commercial um, in general tends to be quite daunting. You know, first step is reaching out to an advisor that can kind of guide you through the market and, you know, really break down what your needs are. Whether you're looking for something quick or long term or like creating a generational asset, I would say, you know, just reach out to your advisor and, you know, they can help you navigate this really tight market right now. So You don't want to be doing it alone.
1: <laughs> speaking of good commercial real estate advisors, uh-huh. how can our guests find out more about Meg Cooney and what you're doing?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to give you my cell number, uh, <laughs> 778-960-5979, or you can find me on the William Wright website, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-W-R-I-G-H-T.ca. Great.
1: Well, Meg, thank you so much for taking the time. Today. I know you guys are busy for breaking down strata windups, so and we look forward to uh, look forward to seeing more of you back at the office.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Corey.
1: Thanks so much, Meg. Okay. Take care. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Our interview today with Meg Cooney of William Wright Commercial, Strata windups. Only way to describe it, one word is always phenomenal. Phenomenal.
0: Thanks, Corey. It, it could have been our could, guests would be happy to hear that. Yeah.
1: Well, you tell her if you see her, <laughs> that was a phenomenal interview. I know our our listeners will love it. I had some great things I took away from this show that, that I was even aware of. So great insight for all of our listeners out there wanting to know more about Strata Windups.
0: Well, thank you. I'll definitely let her know. <laughs>
1: please do. Please <laughs> do. Before we cut to the weekend here, I know everyone's busy, and we got to get you out of here because I've taken up more of your time. Anything exciting you want to let our listeners know about, or any any upcoming projects, or any exciting listings you have?
0: Yeah, well, actually, on that note, uh, we have a Strata wind up coming to market in January. So it's in Metrotown, just under an acre. And stay tuned for that or reach out for early details.
1: And how can people get a hold of you? I know you left your, your, oh, yeah. your contact in well, the interview the there. I
0: I'm the host. So the if host. you want to reach out to Meg Cooney, <laughs> you can reach her on our cell, 778-960-5979 or email meg at williamwright.ca.
1: And people can always reach out to me anytime if you are a tenant looking to find a space if you're a landlord looking to lease your space or you're looking to buy and sell commercial real estate, please reach out to us. You can reach us at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. They're always welcome to drop me an email at corey at williamwright.ca or you can go to our website, williamwright.ca and sign up for the latest and greatest in what's coming up at William Wright Commercial and all of the commercial real estate world out here. Before we leave, Meg, anything else you want to throw in there?
0: I think you covered it all. Just, all right. uh Yeah, enjoy the next podcast.
1: Great. Well, Meg, (laughs) thanks so much for for doing the double role today. You're the guest and you're the host. You're doing the double SNL role. So we thank you so much for that, (laughs) guys. No problem. (laughs) Two for one. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Take care.
0: Subscribe today.